Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 4th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, guys, uh, usually on Monday we do the water cooler episode, um, but uh, Jacob is out sick uh apparently he's not feeling good after having barbecue on labor day and uh brad is out today as well so i'm 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 pushing the water cooler episode to wednesday instead of our normal uh first day of the week uh which i guess today is tuesday not monday as i said earlier um so let's move on to the news let's just jump right into it over the weekend we learned that david cronenberg is going to be doing a tv series chris you're at the sub for the site what do we know oh yeah so there there aren't really any specific details unfortunately and david cronenberg has directed tv before and he was actually uh asked to direct season two of true detective and he turned it down because he didn't like the script which um puts him in line with most people who saw true detective season two (laughs) and um but this is the first time he's actually developing a show on his own and uh basically what all he said was he said that he was at the venice film festival and he said you know he can't really say what it's about but it's it's in the works and um, I just found this slightly uh, amusing and ironic because one of David Kerber's most famous films is, of course, Videodrome, which is all about uh, people becoming obsessed with TV and TV sending out these uh, very harmful signals that turn people basically insane. So it's kind of like a his career has come full circle now where he's literally just developing a TV show after making this film about the evils of TV. So, uh, I, you know, like I said, I don't know anything about the show, but I'm a Cronenberg fan, so I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever it may be. I am not a huge Cronenberg fan, but I, I feel like I would be curious. I would have a curiosity of seeing what a Cronenberg-developed uh, TV series is like. Uh, ben, would you tune in? 
Um, I think so. I, I'm still working my way through a lot of his filmography. I've probably only seen like five movies of, of his, uh, and I know he's, he has many, many more than that. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, the guy who directed The Fly and Videodrome and Eastern Promises, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested in seeing what he does in, in that medium. Uh, also over the weekend, the Los Angeles Online Film, Film Critics Society announced their Summer Movie Awards. Uh, I'm part of this group, and uh, we announced basically, basically we did a fun award show just online, uh, awarding the best uh, films and performances uh, of this summer. And uh, Ben, you wrote this up for the site. Uh, tell us who won. Yeah, so there are 10 categories here, and I'll read you guys the winners. So Best Summer Blockbuster went to Mission Impossible Fallout. Best Summer Actor went to John Cho for Searching. Uh, there was a tie for Best Summer Actress between Tony Collette for Hereditary and Constance Wu for Crazy Rich Asians. And uh, Adam Driver took home the Supporting Actor Award for his work in Black Klansman. Uh, Aquafina won for Supporting Actress for Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, the Best Summer Sequel, Prequel, or Spinoff also went to Mission Impossible Fallout. The Best <laughs> Summer Documentary was Won't You Be My Neighbor. The Best Summer Indie was Eighth Grade. The best summer director was Spike Lee for Black Klansman, and the best summer screenplay went to Bo Burnham for eighth grade. Okay, so I, I, I guess the, the first question here, guys, is uh, who got snubbed? Uh, I can't believe they didn't give Gotti anything. What's what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> did anybody see that movie? I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, did, uh, do you think any other movie should have won over Mission Impossible Fallout for best summer blockbuster? No, it's it's no. hard to it's yeah it's hard to. Um, <laughs> to put anything up against that because i feel i legitimately think fallout is like one of the best action movies or at least mainstream yeah. action movies in like the past 10 years so um yeah th that that was a tough one to beat for sure it's funny we launched this with uh that category and also the best summer sequel prequel or spinoff uh you know not knowing when we decided these categories that you know it was going to be a clean sweep Mission Impossible. Uh, what about uh, actors and actresses? Is there any uh, performances you guys uh, would like to give a shout out to that it didn't get uh, s some spotlight here? I have one in mind, but Chris, I'm interested. Um, do you have any? I mean, honestly, I do. I really think Tony Collette's performance in Hereditary is pretty much the best performance like of the year, not just the summer. So I can't really fault that, honestly. Yeah, I think um, for Best Supporting Actor, I maybe would have put uh, Rafael Casal in contention. He was um, one of the, the leads or I guess one of the supporting players in, uh, in Blind Spotting, which came out earlier this summer. Um, David Diggs was probably the, the traditional lead in that. And I think you could qualify Rafael Casal as a, as a supporting player there. For sure. I, I kind of wish Searching had won Summer Indie, but I, I'm glad 8th Grade got some some love. And uh, Searching, of course, got uh, some love as well as uh, Best Summer Actor with John Schoen. I would also put maybe um, Sorry to Bother You in there for Summer Indie or maybe even Summer Director uh, or Screenplay for that matter. I mean, that movie is just um, it's so great. So uh, <laughs> I feel like it could have it could have slid into any of those slots. Yeah. Well, very cool. You can check out the full uh, list of uh, winners on the site. We'll link in show notes. Uh, let's move on to Quentin Tarantino's Star Trek, which uh, I don't believe is ever going to happen. But uh, but you know that won't stop the the casting crew of uh, the Star Trek franchise from from uh, hyping it up. Uh, Carl Urban uh, has given us some new details. Chris, what do we know? Um, yeah, so Quentin Tarantino's uh, potential R-rated Star Trek movie. 
Um, like Peter said, we don't know if this will ever happen, but if it does happen, Tarantino actually wants the same cast as the current ongoing Star Trek film franchise to be in his film, even though I don't think it's technically within the current continuity. It's very confusing and strange and interesting. And Carl Urban was at a convention over the weekend and he provided some insight into it. You know, nothing specific, but he did call uh, Tarantino's idea, whatever it is, quote unquote, bananas. So take from that what you will. And he also weighed in a little bit on the R rating. Um, I won't read his full quote because it's a bit wordy, but he, he boils down to saying, uh, the R rating isn't because Tarantino's script is like filled with obscenities like his other films, but rather because uh, it's R rated to illustrate the the horrors of space and the intensity of the situation that the characters find themselves in. So, uh, you know, if this happens, don't expect everyone to be running around dropping f bombs like in other Tarantino films. Just expect, expect it to be a very intense space action movie. Uh, again, if it happens, which who knows. I just don't think this is going to happen. Ben, if you were going to put uh, the Vegas odds on us actually getting a Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie, what, what would you put it? I'm not sure exactly how those odds work, but yeah, I would say it's it's not great. Although this idea does sound really cool. And to me, that's always one of the best parts about any sort of space movie. I mean, that's my favorite aspect of Gravity, for example, is just the the sheer horror of being in an uh, in such a harsh environment. So um, it sounds like they're on to a cool idea there. I just wish that it was uh, more of a given that we're actually going to see it come to fruition. Uh, one of the podcasts I listen to regularly is uh, screenwriter John August uh, Script Notes podcast, and uh, we did a story on this I think a couple weeks back, and I, we we never covered it on 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 this podcast, and I I thought we'd uh, pull it out of the archive since we we are not uh, in you know a flurry of movie news this week. Um, and uh, basically, John August is, is wondering why many older movies aren't available online. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so he basically was trying to track down one particular film. It was 1984's The Flamingo Kid, only to find that you couldn't find it anywhere on iTunes, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, any other streaming service. It's just straight up not available. And this is not a new observation. There have been you know hundreds of movies that have sort of fallen by the wayside like this. But uh, John August sort of took to his blog and commissioned a crowdsourced document called Missing Movies that has over 390 entries from 1980 until today of movies that are just not available for any sort of rental purchase or streaming anywhere. Um, so I have link, linked to that document in the show notes, and you can find that and and uh, see what movies you know sort of fall on that list. Uh, he also put out the call for somebody to do a little bit more like of a systematic approach to this. So one of his uh, listeners took up that challenge and created this blog post that tracked the availability of the top 200 top grossing movies for each year uh, from 1999 until now and found that across all 4,000 of those movies, about 120 of them cannot be streamed, rented, or purchased digitally. So uh, John August is, is trying to figure out a solution to this, and he said, Part of what he can try to do himself is maybe have conversations with people who are members of the Academy to try to convince them that this whole thing falls under the category of film preservation, which the Academy is, uh, you know, that's that's near and dear to their heart. Um, but he also says that it's important for fans, consumers to reach out and make noise about 
wanting to see these movies get digital releases. So like people like James Cameron and Ron Howard, he says, are obvious choices, obvious candidates to reach out to because uh, a lot of their films are available on streaming and um, maybe they have the clout to actually you know, talk in, talk a studio into going through the efforts of digitizing some of their older releases and putting them online somewhere. And of course, there's other movies beyond like big releases that will never see the light of day, you know, films produced independently or not by a major studio. Uh, last night, I went to uh, this thing that's held every Labor Day in, in California called uh, the Five Minutes Game. And I'm going to talk about this on the on the podcast, uh, on the water cooler edition of the podcast. So I'm not going to spoil it here. But basically what they do is they show you the first five minutes from 15 films that are not available on DVD, Blu-ray, or uh, a streaming. Basically stuff that's only been available on VHS. And uh, the the whole collective crowd votes on which movie they want to see after seeing the first five minutes. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I'll talk about that tomorrow on the water cooler uh, to to give you a little bit of a tease. Let's uh, let's move on to Ryan Johnson, uh, who apparently is not directing a Star Wars film next, but directing something else, a little a smaller movie instead. Chris, tell us about it. Ah, uh, yeah. So Ryan Johnson's uh, first post. Last Jedi film is going to be a movie called Knives Out starring Daniel Craig. And it's described as a contemporary mystery in the vein of Agatha Christie's locked room mysteries and locked room mysteries are stuff like um, sort of like murder on the Orient Express. And, and then there were none where a crime is, is committed in a, a single location and it's almost impossible to figure out how the killer got in and got out undetected. And this is very cool because Ryan Johnson, of course, got his start with Brick, which is a, a mystery film. And I love the idea of him going back to, you know, a smaller film in between Star Wars movies. And I also love the fact uh, that, you know, he's he's working with Daniel Craig, who um, I think is a, a very good actor with a lot of range who doesn't really get to use it that much because he's been more or less locked up in uh, the James Bond franchise for the last 12 years. But. Um, he was recently in, in Steven Soderbergh's Logan Lucky, which I thought that film was okay, but I thought he was great in it because he showed a lot of uh, comedic range that he doesn't usually get to use that much. So all of this sounds really cool, and um, it's going to start shooting in November, and then when this is done, then Ryan Johnson's going to move on to his his uh, untitled Star Wars trilogy. What, what does this mean for Daniel Craig in the next Bond movie? Well, the, the only reason this could actually happen right now is because the Bond movie is on hold. Uh, you know, that was supposed to start shooting soon, but then Danny Boyle, the director, walked away. And uh, as a result of that, it was like a perfect storm and it enabled Daniel Craig to sign on to this film while, uh, you know, producers trying to figure out just what the hell to do with Bond 25. So while Daniel Craig is basically waiting for that movie to start up, he's going to shoot this film, which I imagine won't be a, a long, lengthy shoot the way a, a James Bond movie would be. I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about how Ryan Johnson kind of his films, for the most part, have been uh, almost in the same way as like Quentin Tarantino kind of emulates these movie genres he loves. I feel like Ryan Johnson's films are kind of uh, inspired by these kind of book genres that he like, you know, loves like brick and uh brothers bloom and uh now this uh movie um ben do you have any thoughts on this 
I cannot wait to see this movie. And yeah, I think you're totally right. He he clearly loves all of these genres and he is basically just going, you know, checking down the boxes of creating like his perfect entry of a time travel movie or a con man film and uh, a, a sort of closed door murder mystery like this sounds so awesome. And I cannot wait to see what he does with it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm so glad when I interviewed him for Last Jedi, I even asked him back then, I was like, you know, please tell me that I, I love the fact that you're doing more Star Wars movies, but please tell me you're going to be doing you know some more original movies and uh he, he, back then he was like yeah of course uh so I'm, I'm glad that we're not gonna have to wait until the end of you know his star wars trilogy to see more uh hopefully and he's such a sharp writer too I, yeah. I feel like he doesn't get enough credit as as a writer i mean i know that obviously his films are, are very acclaimed um within like the indie community and yeah. and you know cinephiles and stuff but uh i feel oh, like it, a lot it, of that Oh, and, go ahead. and Hollywood, uh, I mean, it's little known, and I'm not going to name the names of films, but he, uh, while he was not able to, you know, get his big Hollywood movies made, he was he was kind of a script, script doctor on a lot of uh, films and uh, touching up uh, dialogue and uh, adding clever, you know, his cleverness to oh, uh, cool. big I, Hollywood films. I, yeah, I had never heard that. That's awesome. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I feel like the, his directing takes. Um, you know, it gets a lot of the praise, but I feel like he's such a smart writer as well. So I can't wait to see what he does with a really tight, neat, tightly knit story like this. Me as well. Let's move on to the next Die Hard movie, which we thought was going to be Die Hard Year One and wasn't going to have Bruce Willis involved. Apparently, that is also Die Hard Six and has a different title. Chris, explain this for us. <sighs> yes. So <laughs> <laughs> let me just preface this by saying this is a terrible idea, but they're going to do it anyway. So. Uh, Die Hard 6, the next entry in the Die Hard franchise. Um, we had known for a while now it was going to be both sort of a sequel and a prequel where, uh, you know, it focuses on John McCain, John, John McCain, John McClane in his 60s, <laughs> John McClane in his 60s as played by Bruce Willis. And also it was going to show John McClane, uh, just starting out on the force. And it was probably going to be inspired by the comic book series, Die Hard Year One. And so that is still sort of happening, but now we know the movie is officially called McLean. And rumors speculated that that the movie would be more prequel to see than sequel, and it would have you know Bruce Willis in just a few cameo like scenes, and the bulk of the movie would have some new actor playing John McLean in his twenties. But according to producer uh, Lorenzo D. Bonaventura, that's not true. It's going to somehow balance it out equally to have an equal amount of Bruce Willis and whomever is playing John McClane as in his twenties. Um, I don't really know how they're going to do that. And, you know, they haven't even announced who's playing the young McClane yet, but that's where it stands right now where that's how they're, they're planning it out. And again, this is a awful idea because we don't really need to see John McClane in his twenties. What makes the original diehard so special is that John McClane is being thrust into this crazy situation for like the first time in his life. He's literally a fish out of water. He's not in his element. He's never had to deal with anything like this before. And to jump back in time and show him in his twenties on another action adventure, it kind of like robs the original diehard of what made it so special. But I'm sure someone out there is, is furious. I'm saying this, and they're going to write an angry letter in telling me I'm an asshole, but that's, that's where I stand. Okay, well, why don't I do what I do often and play devil's advocate here, Chris? Uh, maybe the idea of bringing Bruce Willis in as, you know, current day John McClane 
is a way of sidestepping this issue that you that you accurately uh, explain. You know, John Mc, John McClain. I keep on wanting to say McClain McCain now. Uh, John McClain. Uh, <laughs> You know, obviously didn't get into any big trouble before that first Die Hard. And that is something that is a problem that you have to address. So why not maybe have this have to do with some criminal he, you know, captured in his early days that wasn't like a big deal. But you keep on going back and forth between current day with him having to deal with it (laughs) on a bigger scale. Oh, my God. Peter, I'm just imagining the young McLean just as like a, a parking enforcer and he just gives somebody a parking <laughs> ticket and that guy becomes a super villain and holds a grudge for 40 years and finally comes back. And that's all that young McLean does is just, you know, walks this this neighborhood beat and that's it. Um, I would kind of love that, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not saying I want to see that movie, but I'm just I'm just saying maybe, maybe there's an angle here. We don't know. I mean, maybe we could be prematurely judging this. Uh, I don't know, guys. Maybe, maybe this is just make McCain, and it's about John McCain. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, we have a bunch of early buzz coming out of the Telluride and Venice film festivals. Uh, we reported last week on a couple of those movies, and right now we're going to give you the the early. Uh, reactions for Jason Reitman's new movie, The Front Runner, and Suspiria. Uh, so let's start off with the Jason Reitman movie, The Front Runner. Ben, what are people saying? Yeah, so The Front Runner stars Hugh Jackman as Gary Hart. It's a true story, and Gary Hart was the uh, was sort of poised to become the Democratic nominee for president in 1988, and then a scandal happened. Uh, where he had an affair with an actress and a model, and basically the press coverage sort of uh, became so overwhelming that he ended up having to drop out of the race. Um, so that's what this movie is is basically about, is, is that um, political time period. And uh, Jason Reitman, who has made movies like uh, Labor Day and Juno and a bunch of others, has, is, is returning to the camera here, behind the camera here. And uh, According to some of the early reactions, uh, The Front Runner is a pretty good movie. So um, Scott Menzel says, The Front Runner was my most anticipated film of the Telluride Film Festival. Hugh Jackman's performance is phenomenal, and it's unlike anything you've seen him do before. The film itself is very timely and important. It's a must-see. Um, but uh, and let's see, Chris Tapley at Variety says, At times, The Front Runner feels almost Altman-esque. Great use of old-school photography and dialogue mixing. Intriguing evolution for Reitman. And that Altman-esque comment <clears throat> excuse me, is, is sort of something that um, permeates a lot of these reactions. It, it, a lot of these films uh, or these reactions compare The Front Runner to the films of Robert Altman. Um, Alicia Malone says that uh, it's Reitman is channeling Robert Altman with long shots and overlapping dialogue, multiple characters, and the way it throws you in makes it feel immediate. Hugh Jackman does a great job. I knew nothing of the real story and was engaged. So, um, yeah, there you have it. I love uh, the films of Robert Altman. I, I feel like, uh, you know, he was like a huge influence on Paul Thomas Anderson's early work, uh, especially like a film like Magnolia or Boogie Nights. And I feel like I, I, I'm all in to see that from from Jason Reitman. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts? Are you excited? Uh, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm planning to see this at TIFF, so I am looking forward to seeing it. But the trailer looked a little too like by the numbers for me. So I'm a little concerned that it's going to be a bit too like biopicky and predictable, but uh, I am looking forward to seeing it. Let's move on to Suspiria. Um, this is a horror film uh, that we've all been looking forward to. 
Chris, is it good? Well, the reactions are more or less what I was expecting, where uh, I have a feeling this is going to be this year's mother, where some people love it and other people want to burn every copy of it uh, from existence. So um, the reviews at event has pretty much uh, confirmed that with some people uh, praising it a lot, like um, Variety's review says, Suspiria is that rarity, an extreme horror movie made by a deeply serious maestro of a director. Uh, And then... (laughs) Uh, Time, however, calls it bland, grisly, boring, and silly. And uh, Screen Daily says, a sensuous experience designed to provoke, whereas RogerEbert.com says, uh, this is a a pretty good quote, I'm racking my brain to find another example of an instance in which a director used his complete artistic freedom for the purpose of flaunting his absolute lack of of artistic conviction. So uh, <laughs> there you have it. You're either going to think this is a, a gorgeous, brilliant, amazing artistic horror movie, or you're going to think this is absolute trash. Um, By the way, I, I love critic quotes like that because that makes me want to see the movie even more. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I, I was already excited to see this, but the negative reviews have me even more excited to see it than the positive reviews because – they're so um, uh, dramatically negative to the point where you can tell people are just seething with rage at this movie. And I don't know. That's the type of movie I, I have to see. So I was already looking forward to this, but now I'm looking forward to it even more. You know, I, I saw a clip from this at uh, CinemaCon. I knew right then when I was, I was watching, you know, what I was seeing on the big screen. And people – by the way, this was during a luncheon uh, while people were eating. And there was, like, disgusting – things happening on the screen people were like spitting up their food it it, it was i I just knew right then i was like people are not gonna like this movie like the general public i I, like this might have the potential of critics and you know film twitter and film nerds loving this movie but i i I don't know i just have a feeling the general public is not gonna not gonna be digging this movie ben uh are you are you excited for this movie do these reactions make you less excited i mean i'm very on the fence about this i'm i'm curious from like an intellectual standpoint but i feel like from what i've seen so far that i'm just not going to like it and that's not going to stop me from seeing it but i'm just um i'm nervous because it feels like this is becoming one of those movies where it's like a film twitter line in the sand kind of thing like uh where do you fall on suspiria you know like it's it's like a character defining thing of like how you react to this movie and i i fear this is going to be like a phantom thread situation where a majority of of the cinephiles that i know love the movie and i just didn't connect with it in the same way but uh i i am looking forward to seeing it because i loved mother so maybe um maybe this one will uh will sort of turn out the same way for me hopefully so uh that brings us to the end of today's slash film daily uh ben where can people find more of your work online you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Chris, where can people find more of your work online? I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me at SlashFilm on all social media. You can find this podcast published every weekday on uh, SlashFilm.com and all the popular podcast apps, including iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify. Uh, all the stories we mentioned today you can find in the show notes and on SlashFilm.com. Please, as always, send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com and uh, leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention the email on the air. Uh, please also 
go to iTunes, give us a rating, write us a review, uh, and uh, spread the word. Tell your friends, and we'll see you tomorrow. Oh, no, I, I kept on, like, when I was filling out this ballot for this summer movie awards winners, I was like, there must be some, like, better performances, and I, I was just finding it hard to find, uh, to come up with, like, great performances of the summer. I really, I mean, I agree with Chris that Tony Collette is, like, the, yeah. the standout one of the whole year, and, um, yeah, I mean, I... I, just you know you saying i'm gonna ask you i went and looked through all of the movies <laughs> that i saw and like you know i want to put like tessa thompson from sorry to bother you on there but that performance yeah. is not like that great you know so i feel like it's it's not see i, I voted for deserving. that performance but like that's all yeah I, I like the movie more than and I'm maybe like lakeith stanfield as a lead or something but i also really like john cho in searching because i feel like he holds a lot of the weight of that movie on his shoulder so yeah i don't know it's a it's a tough one Chris, did you see Searching? I have not seen that yet, no. I want to. I just have not see seen it. it. Yeah. I'll get around to it. There's a lot of stuff I haven't seen. I haven't seen Sorry to Bother You yet. I have, there's a lot of stuff I miss. I'm waiting for, because we're about to enter that, you know, the screener season where they send award season screeners home. Yeah. So I'll probably, I'm probably just wait for that on everything. Yeah, I feel like my, my big one that I haven't seen is Black Klansman. 